Um, I was talking oh, a few weeks ago with Blake about, you know, lessons and uh, sermons and things like that. And uh, a preacher, a, a full-time preacher, usually uh, is involved with <clears throat> uh, preaching every Sunday, pretty much. I mean, it, it's some places it's not like that, but pretty much every Sunday, sometimes twice on Sunday. Um, and so you have to kind of come up with things to talk about, you know. Uh, and uh, so we were kind of like talking about that and the process, you know, and kind of uh, comparing it to, to, to other things that, that, that people do and projects that they work on. <clears throat> and uh, I bring that up because I, you know, what I want to talk about this morning kind of just like popped into my head when I was in bed, I, was, I kind of woke up and I was just thinking about irony and uh, how that uh, was consistent with the scriptures. Um, and what is irony and words that are synonymous with irony. Now, irony is a state of affairs or an event that seems deliberately contrary uh, to what one expects. And it's kind of like paradox. Paradox is a seemingly or self-contradictory statement or proposition that when investigated or explained may prove to be found true. And then there is contradiction. Um, it's a combination of statements or ideas or features of a situation that are opposed to one another. So you have, uh, in those three definitions, you have the word contrary, uh, self-contradictory, and opposed. Um, I had uh, Richard this morning read from Isaiah. Uh, he read 6 through 11, but I just want to concentrate really on verses 8 and 9. Uh, in Isaiah 55, uh, verses 8 and 9 says, uh, the writer uh, says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Um, so when God thinks a thought uh, and speaks a word, it just happens. Okay? Um, God's not a human being. Uh, God is spirit, and God is sinless. Um, to the contrary, human minds are... We're kind of carnal, we're physical, we're fleshly, uh, we're corporeal. I mean, it's concerning the body. Uh, and most of all, we're sinful. Uh, human beings are sinful. But God's mind is, is spiritual. So I just want to, you know, make that comparison. God's mind, humanity's mind, pure, spiritual, sinless, fleshly, sinful, prone to sin. <clears throat> That being said, um, throughout Scripture, time and time again, if you notice that God uh, uses and identifies, uses uh, uh, people who might identify as abhorrently fleshly or patently sinful to accomplish his goals. I mean, you can read in this, what we're going to do this morning, we're going to look through Scripture and, and, and uh, talk about those sources. I mean, 
abhorrent the sinful uh, and uh, patently fleshly there. Um, God doesn't always use uh, the solution that man might use, okay? Um, and that's because human nature, I want to propose, is contradictory to God's nature. Um, you want to turn to Genesis, uh, the second chapter. This is something that I've talked about with a couple of uh, people here in the congregation and it's just something that I thought about and <clears throat> seems kind of uh, not unusual but uh, maybe a little bit a little bit strange and I think it it, it shows uh, how the mind of human beings work okay <clears throat> Genesis 2 in verse 8 the Lord planted an orchard in the east in Eden where he placed man he had formed in verse 9, the Lord made all kinds of trees grow from the soil, every tree that was pleasing to look at and good for food. And this is now the tree of life and the tree of good and evil were in the middle of the orchard. <clears throat> now, if you, if you look at these uh, passages of Scripture, other than the true trees, the, the tree of uh, life and the tree of good and evil, uh, other than the two trees being in the middle of the garden, or the middle of the orchard, um, I don't think from the scripture nothing really stood out about them from the rest of the orchard. As a matter of fact, I don't know about the Bible that you might have, but in mine, <clears throat> they're rendered in lower case. It's not like they were the tree of life or the tree of, you know, uh, knowledge of good and evil. They're rendered in lowercase and they're parenthetical at the end of uh, the passage, almost uh, as if they were kind of like an afterthought a little bit. So let's move on to Genesis 2, uh, 16 and 17. In verse 16, Then the Lord commanded the man, You may freely eat the fruit from every tree of the orchard, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. From when you eat from it, you will surely die. <clears throat> what I find interesting about this passage is in verse 17 it says, from when you eat from it, okay? Um, it's rendered when, not if, if you eat it. It's when you eat from it. Um, when expresses uh, more certainty than if. It's, also, it's almost like it's an inevitability or a foregone conclusion here that God knows that you're going to do this. It's not like, you know, I'm, I'm telling you not to do it. You're going to do it, you know. Um, but if you notice, there's nothing instructed here about the tree of life. It didn't say anything about that at all. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to Genesis uh, chapter 3 in the first six verses. And we all know this is the dialogue uh, between Eve and the serpent slash devil. Um, and we know what the conclusion of that was. Um, Eve was persuaded to partake of the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And her husband Adam, he went along with it. Okay. There's no indication uh, when, when God confronts them about what they had done. There's no indication that they partook from the tree of life. 
Okay. Although there was no apparent instruction against not doing it. There, there's no indication that they even looked at it or even considered it. And if you look at Genesis 3.22, uh, this becomes clear. It says, Then the Lord said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and also take of the tree of life and eat and live forever. So, I mean, there's an implication here that they hadn't eaten from the tree of life, okay? And now that they had disobeyed him and eaten from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, he didn't want them eating from the tree of life because they eat from the tree of life, they have the capability of living forever, okay? But now they were, they were, they were sinful people, okay? And there had to be some sort of uh, uh, way that they could enter into eternal life, not just from partaking. So if you look at this, I, I look at this and I think, well, human nature, uh, they pursued knowledge and wisdom. And if you notice that the, the serpent persuaded Eve by telling her that you, God knows you'll be like him if you eat from this tree, you know, so in, in that way. But from a human standpoint, it doesn't seem like they considered eternal life. That was not at the top of their agenda. Okay. And that's what God wants for us. He wants for us eternal life. So right there, you can see the difference between human nature and godly nature. Okay. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 15, the first 15 verses there in Genesis chapter 4. And this is the discourse concerning Cain and Abel. Uh, now, Abel was the good son. He was doing all the right things, uh, and he was pleasing God with his sacrifices. Um, Cain, on the other hand, was lacking in his sacrifices. Then Cain, in a jealous rage, killed his brother Abel. Um, one thing I can pick out from this right off the top is jealousy and resentment kill. Okay? So you want to read that out of your out of your life because uh, it's one of the main drivers of, of, of destruction uh, jealousy and resentments but if you notice that uh, God did not kill Cain immediately from a physical standpoint um, he banished him from his presence which uh, is a type of a spiritual death, I would, I would think. But no one was allowed to kill Cain. Cain was banished, and, but no one was allowed to kill him. Now, if you think how a human might think about this and how we think about this today, if you kill someone, it's like, you know, humans are usually looking for that uh, blood vengeance, okay? But God didn't do this. He banished Cain. He allowed him to live. Later on, uh, with the Israelite people, the Israelite nation, there was an eye for an eye punishment, and that was normal. But the, to me, the eye for an eye punishment was a, a teaching mechanism. He wanted to show the people uh, and, and, and deter them from, from that sort of thing. If you notice when Jesus came, the teaching became different. Uh, 
it evolved from that kind of primitive eye for an eye uh, situation to a more complex, deeper way of, of dealing with people and thinking and behaving. So human nature, vengeance. And, and God who teaches, you know, in the New Testament scripture, I'm not about that. Uh, I don't want you seeking vengeance. I don't want you seeking blood for blood. I'll take care of that, okay? Uh, it's better that you follow the teaching of my son, you know, and this talk after the Beatitudes about turning the other cheek, sharing your cloak, okay? Considering others before yourself. But human nature is a blood for blood thing. I mean, we have capital punishment. And this is, I mean, this is the day. This has been, uh, I like to watch old westerns. And if you watch those, and they're pretty much based on what was going on back in the day, you do something wrong, get a rope, you know. We're going to take care of it that way. That, 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 that's, that's, that's not the way God deals with it. He doesn't want his Christians, uh, people, to deal with things. <clears throat> Exodus chapter 2. <clears throat> the early portions of Exodus, we know, introduces Moses. Uh, in Numbers 12, uh, verse 3, and you don't have to turn there, I'm just going to read it. And it says that Moses was a very humble man, more than any man on the face of the earth. And the scripture also, also stated in Exodus 31.18 that Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. And Moses was a Hebrew, but we know he was raised by Pharaoh's daughter in uh, Pharaoh's home, his household, surrounded by all, all of the luxuries of Egypt. Uh, Moses was also a murderer uh, in Exodus 2, chapter 12, or excuse me, verse 2, excuse me, chapter 2, verse 12. It says, looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian. So Moses committed murder. Moses was also a fearful man. Uh, he was afraid. Fear, uh, Drove into, the, drove into the Midian desert for about 40 years. Moses was afraid when God appeared to him in the burning bush, if you remember. Moses was afraid and made serial excuses when God chose him to rescue his people from the hands of the Egyptian Pharaoh. So if you look at Moses, uh, raised in the lap of luxury, away from his people. He's a Hebrew, but he was raised away from his people, separated from his people, uh, committed murder, went into exile in the Midian for 40 years, and was fearful. He seemed to be pretty fearful. Uh, if you're looking for a top executive today, you know, they have these executive search committees looking for uh, top employees, you think that Moses would have passed that search? I, I don't think so. What about, what about the military? Uh, if you're looking for a military commander today, in today's army, this, you know, or any army, any country in the world, uh, 
I don't think he would have passed that test either. Okay, but still, God chose Moses as a conduit to liberate his people to the promised land. So, if you look at the way man thinks about things, the way mankind thinks, and the way God thinks, it's different. Okay. Turn to Joshua 2. Joshua, the second chapter, tells the story of uh, Rahab. Uh, Rahab was a prostitute who essentially allied to protect Hebrew spies. Uh, Humanity, human beings, uh, would have dismissed her out of hand because of her, her lifestyle. She was a whore, okay? And that was... That's a negative word. That's a negative thing, okay? And you can read from the scripture, she was also, she lied, really. I mean, it might have been for a good thing, but she did did lie, okay? Um, But God uh, understood the essence of her heart. These were surface things, and we all have, none of us are perfect, Okay, we all have these things on the surface that well, we're kind of messed up. Okay, none of us is perfect. None of us are perfect. <clears throat> but God looks underneath that. He understood the essence of our heart. And so if you look in Hebrews 11 in verse 31, it says, By faith, Rahab the prostitute escaped the destruction of the disobedient because she welcomed the spies in peace. Um, and that made me think of First uh, Peter four eight, where he writes that above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sin. First Samuel sixteen. <clears throat> uh, David is is God's choice to rule Israel. Uh, and David has always been an interesting character for me in Scripture. Uh, because twice, in 1 Samuel 13, 14, and in Acts 13, 22, two times, once in the Old Testament Scripture, once in New Testament Scripture, God states that in David he has found a man after my own heart. Um, David is a guy who committed not just murder and adultery, but he committed calculated murder and adultery. It wasn't just like he, you know, I met this woman and I lost my head, you know, or even like Moses who... uh, thought he might have been justified in some way from killing the Egyptian because he was abusing one of the, his fellow Hebrews, okay? David basically committed, saw uh, Bathsheba and desired her and planned, put a plan in motion to make it all come to fruition. And then when that backfired on him, he put another plan in motion, uh, to get rid of her husband, okay? Uh, but still, like I said, 
in Samuel and in Acts. Uh, God states that in David he found a man after my own heart. Um, that's because God understood the inner workings of his heart. Yeah, he understood that. Um, we all make mistakes. We're all sinners. Some to a greater degree than others. And, and, and a lot of times, and I, and I don't, I don't, know, I don't, I can't say for sure. It's just my speculation. Uh, but when when human beings, when we look at sin, uh, well, some are not as bad as others. Like I told a little lie. You know, it wasn't you know, a slight indiscretion. Okay, but he killed someone. All right. Okay. Well, I stole an apple from the fruit section of the store. But he fornicates every every weekend when he goes out to party. Okay, and, and that's how we look at things. And and yes, death is when you kill someone. That that's that's bad. That's bad, and you're and you're going to suffer the consequences for that. But I often wonder how like, how, like God looks at that. If you're someone who killed someone, but then you repent, move on to a better life, change your heart, change your ways, or you're someone who goes through life stealing little things and telling little lies all the time, but it never, never changes. That's just the way you are. Okay. So it's another way of, of seeing the difference between the way man thinks, the way humanity thinks, and the way, the way God thinks. Uh, God continued to use David. Uh, even, even after that, David did some kind of screwy things there. But God, you know, continued to use him even after David back slid time and time again. Okay, let's turn to the New Testament. <clears throat> Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, the Gospels are the good news. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we all know. And, of course, the Acts of the Apostles, which we're studying in our, in our Bible classes, uh, <clears throat> talks about the work of the Apostles, really and the establishment of the church. Um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tells the story of God as a human being, essentially. Um, in Luke 17, 21, it says, the kingdom of God is in your midst. Or some translations say the kingdom of God is within you. God was with them. God walked the earth as a man. That, that, that's basically what the gospel is about. And Jesus' teaching. Okay. Um, as we talked about earlier, as God has done in the past, He uses common and sometimes flawed people to facilitate His work. Okay. So when Jesus walked the earth, when God walked the earth, He chose 12 men as, as potential apostles or messengers <coughs> of the gospel. And in, in these 12 men, I believe, I want to put to you that he chose a cross-section of society, okay? Um, one was a tax collector, 
which basically back then was the equivalent of a dishonest businessman, a business cheat, okay? Um, he chose a political zealot, okay? That's someone who might commit some sort of violence or some other crime because of their political leanings, okay? Uh, he chose a, a skeptic or a doubting, they call him Doubting Thomas. Uh, and he chose a confidence man. Judas Iscariot was basically a confidence man. He deceived, he didn't deceive Jesus, but basically had the group deceived about who he was and what his motivations were. <clears throat> he chose two entitled brothers, James and John. I mean, they had, I think the scriptures indicate that they had a little bit more monetarily than some of the other ones. Uh, their, their father owned a boat, uh, which they worked on. And if you read several times in the scriptures, they kind of thought that they were a little bit better, and so did their mother and <laughs> than the rest of them, you know. Um, and he also chose, among others, uh, an impetuous, outspoken fisherman. Peter probably would be kind of like a longshoreman today, you know. Um, so the scriptures give no indication that uh, these men were religiously trained other than just the basic, you know, we're teaching you about Jewish law. They were familiar with that probably a little bit in an elementary way so they could observe and uh, understand. Uh, there's no indication that they were uh, religiously trained or they were learned men at all. Um, they hadn't sat at the, the feet of revered rabbis or anything like that. Um, basically, God chose anti-establishment individuals to face off against the establishment back then. Um, what happens when the anti-establishment face off against the establishment? And I'm not talking about the high, I'm not talking about uh, um, political parties. I'm not talking about people over here that have power and people over here that have power and they, they're arguing, fighting. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, when I say any establishment, I'm talking about people with very little power. Okay? And the establishment is the power structure. And that's what was going on here. Okay? Jesus chose anti-establishment individuals, outsiders, to square off against the establishment. And when that usually happens, when you rock the boat, uh, you're more likely gonna, you're gonna face persecution for sure. And you might die as well, okay? Um, so you see he chose untrained men to counter the Jewish establishment of the day uh, to bring his teaching to the masses. Um, and what was the establishment back then? Um, the establishment consisted of rabbis or the, the teachers, the university professors. I mean, you could equate that today. Okay. <coughs> he chose, uh, the establishment was religious lawyers. We all know what lawyers are, right? They interpret the law. Sometimes they write the law, okay? Uh, and the next step up from lawyers are judges, so. The establishment also, like today, consists of savvy uh, 
ambitious politicians. We all recognize what, what that is as well. Um, and the people of the religious establishment back then, the religious authorities, uh, they believed because of their knowledge and their position and their careful investigation of the scriptures and the teachings and the books that uh, they would be the first one to discover and acknowledge who the Messiah was going to be. Okay, and this was the the rub here. Jesus Jesus uh, didn't fit that scenario. He didn't fit what they thought he should be, and they figured that they should be the ones to anoint Jesus, okay? They should be the ones to anoint the Messiah, okay? So if you look at this whole scenario about uh, common unlearned men going up against the religious establishment, this whole scenario is against what humans would do. I mean, if, if if you or I came, you know, came and were said, you know, well, we have to like change the the, the, the the religious order here or the political order here. So you have to choose some people to help you do this. You're gonna kinda of go on that executive search, right? You're gonna kinda of go on that uh, you're gonna surround yourself with people that you're you're comfortable with, that you figure have experience. You're not gonna go down to the shipyard and just pick a couple of people here and there, you know. That's what happened. That, that's what God did. That's how God is different than, than we are. Um, human beings are caught up in, and they put tremendous stock in uh, prestige and power and all the symbols that surround them. Okay? That's not what God's all about. Okay, Acts. Uh, in Acts 2, uh, two new apostles are introduced. We have Justice Matthias and uh, later on uh, I misspoke there, in Acts not Acts 2. In Acts two apostles apostles are introduced. Justice Matthias and, and later on Paul. Now Matthias replaced Judas Iscariot and what's interesting here is that God used a form of uh, Sortition to indicate his chosen replacement for Judas. Now, sortition is a form of rolling dice. Now, from a human point of view, even religious people today, you talk about shooting dice, you know, you're talking about gambling, right? So, but this was divine, okay, and it's what God used to, to choose uh, Judas's. Uh, Replacement, and then we have Paul. Uh, later on in Acts, uh, Paul was known in Jewish circles as Saul of Tarsus. Uh, Saul was a religiously, religiously learned and trained man. He was different than the twelve original apostles. Okay, uh, he was learned and trained. It says in Acts twenty-two, uh, verse. Three that he was educated at the feet of Gamaliel in strict conformity to the law. So Saul was intelligent and he was educated. 
but he's also ignorant about God and the church. Okay, he was also a cruel persecutor of God's people. Okay. Still, God chose him to be his ambassador to the Gentile people and to facilitate the growth of the church. Um, human logic might have chosen Saul maybe to uh, face off against the Jewish establishment. After all, he was he understood the Jewish law. He could probably debate these people uh, head on in an intelligent way. You think, well, yeah, that, when, 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 you, when Jesus was, uh, you know, deciding you know, who the 12 were going to be, uh, if it were me or for maybe you, we probably would have picked someone like Paul to do that, okay? But God had other, uh, he wanted to use Paul in a different way. Um, his way was different. He used Paul to teach the Gentiles, okay? Uh, so, if you look at Jesus, you look at his life as he walked the earth, he defied human logic. Uh, we already discussed this in his choice of his disciples. Um, like I said, the Jews of the day were looking for a deliverer uh, who would lead them to a successful liberation of their nation. Okay, they were looking for someone in the image maybe looked up David. But if you stop to think about it, even when David uh, was, he, he, David had a lot of accomplishments. And one of the reasons he was a man after God's own heart is because he followed God. And it's why he had those accomplishments. If you remember, but even when David uh, uh, was first chosen, God's choice as king, he wasn't the likely, the likely choice, okay? But after it was all said and done, David was revered in Israel, and that's what they were looking for. They were looking for the return of David. Um, and these people believed because of their training and standing, they would identify and certify who this Messiah was gonna be, like I said. But then you have Jesus, God on earth. He walked the earth as a humble servant king. He was king, but he was a servant king. Okay? He had a ragtag band of apostles uh, following him around. Sometimes those guys didn't even understand what Jesus was talking about. Okay, but he still had patience. He mentored them. And as was mentioned in class earlier today, that when he ascended and they were left on their own, he had taught them well because they had time to grow and with the help of the Holy Spirit went on to accomplish great things. Okay? Jesus came to earth to seek and save the lost. Uh, and by doing that, he changed the world. In 1 Peter 2, uh, verse 9, <clears throat> it talks about us being a royal priesthood. And this has always been kind of interesting to me as well. Because uh, 
We may not all be preachers. I don't consider myself a preacher. I'm standing in today. I'm, 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 I'm helping the church out, but I don't consider myself to be a preacher. I'm like preaching, but I'm not a preacher. Okay. Um, we may not all be evangelists, be able to go here and there and get support to work in foreign lands and uh, teach people uh, in that way. But the scriptures say we're all priests. Okay, we're all, and I always found that kind of kind of interesting. That we're all priests. Um, we're in this world, but we shouldn't be of it. Uh, and because of Jesus and how he changed the world, uh, we have the privilege to approach God uh, directly without human intercession. We can approach God directly. We can petition him in prayer. We don't have to have someone pray for us. We can petition God in prayer. We can ask for forgiveness. We can ask for help. Okay? And... We can also become uh, a part of his church, a part of his community, if we are not already. Uh, William's going to lead us in a song. And traditionally, the song is sung to give people time to reflect about their lives and to, you know, do I need prayers? Do I need help in any way? Uh, if I'm not a, a member of God's church, do I want to be? Uh, and just think about those things. And then there are people here that you can talk with, and if you have questions about those things or concerns, uh, and please do stand and sing. Number 301. <clears throat> Number 301, redeemed. <clears throat> 